welcome everyone for another edition of FinTech Talk Show. I'm your host, um, Patty Ramanathan from the iValley Innovation Center in San Francisco Bay Area. For those who are new here, iValley is a third generation startup factory in the Bay Area and we host these FinTech Talks to talk about the future we're building with our partners and startups. We've had great engagement with these sessions on Clubhouse with topics ranging from the future of crypto economy to embedded finance, to the future of wealth management, and what's different about Web 3.0 and the design principles uh, for Web 3.0. And even we had a show on future media and events. All recaps and some of the recordings are on our Substack, so do check it out if you haven't already um, checked it out. Um, the URL is fintechtalk.substack.com. We'll have this recording posted there, also with our very popular fintech elder uh, recaps. Um, the one, the most recent one, is that Web 3.0 spiders, a term um, that this show has coined for the next trillion dollar market cap companies or networks. I will be talking about them today. Um, today's session is about understanding the emerging trend of startups in fintech and Web 3.0 migrating away from the Silicon Valley and New York to places like Austin, South Florida, and other locales, and the formation of startup hubs in those places. We'll talk about that and also get into whether the Web 3.0 spiders that we just mentioned will be born in Austin and other hubs outside of San Francisco Bay Area and New York. As I mentioned, Web 3.0 Spider is a new term coined by the show, kind of like following on the unicorn. Unicorn's a billion dollar in valuation. So the Web 3.0 Spider uh, represents kind of future dominant players like the FANG, like the Facebook, Apple Network, uh, Netflix, Google acronym. Some people include Tesla in it. Um, and Tesla and others are in, in Austin already or have moved, uh, so to speak. Um, but we talk about spiders in the context of Web 3.0. Um, well, you'll see exactly what this means in a few minutes. Let me start with a great quote, quote from President John F. Kennedy. Change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. And without further ado, I'm delighted to welcome two very distinguished fintech stars, operators, um, bankers, um, and innovators operating very creatively at opposite ends of the spectrum. And they're not in the Silicon Valley. And they embody bold change, as you will soon learn. Welcome Alan Grayson, Chief Innovation Officer, also Technology Chief Technology Officer and Austin Regional Banking President at Encore Bank. Welcome, Alan. Patty, thank you so much. It's great sure. to be here. Great. And Eugene Marinelli, um, formerly co-founder at Blend, now founder, investor, advisor to startups, uh, recently moved uh, to Austin. We'll hear about that. Welcome, Eugene. Welcome both. Let's have some fun. Um, let's do a quick round of introductions and opening remarks. Um, talk about how you got here, what you're focusing on now, kind of career-wise, ge geography-wise. Maybe start with Eugene first. Hey, Eugene, um, uh, you're still on mute. Okay, Alan, you want to go? Um, I think Eugene's having. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. My, my, sorry. Go ahead. 
Go ahead, um, Eugene. You're, yeah, you're sorry, breaking... just by way of introduction. Um, yeah, I was uh, one of the co-founders of Blend, um, which is, uh, you know, a startup that now powers over 30% of more in the U.S. Um, I, uh, prior to that, I was an engineer and kind of like found this problem with mortgages and, and just decided, you know, with my co-founders to, uh, to take it on as its own company. And so, um, yeah, excited to be here and thanks, thanks for having me. Great. Welcome. Um, Alan, opening. Patty, thank you very much. It's great to, uh, great to be here. I am in Austin, Texas, which I'm uh, proud to say that I had not heard of the, of the earthquake in the Bay area. So hopefully everyone is, uh, is okay. That was that was new news. <laughs> it, it was a small one. I think everyone's okay. I mean, we're all okay. That's great to hear. We we deal with a lot uh, here in here in Texas, but it's mostly mostly heat. Fortunately, no no earthquakes. But I do hope everyone is is okay. My name is Alan Rayson. Um, I'm proud to be responsible for technology and innovation for um, Encore Bank. We're a we're a digital bank across the across the broader southeastern part of the United States. Um, and relatively new, I wouldn't call us a startup necessarily anymore, but we're certainly certainly early stage, about two, about two years in, and um, among the fastest growing banks in the country, if, if not the fastest, which is uh, a bit of our claim to fame right now. Welcome, welcome, Alan. And and uh, our, our main topic is to talk about Austin and the south, Southeastern and other hubs. So this is a piece from TechCrunch that I pulled up, and I quote uh, from TechCrunch, uh, Austin has made headlines over the past year for a number of reasons. It's home to Oracle's new headquarters, Tesla is building a massive gigafactory in the Texas capital, and people, mostly tech workers, are leaving the Bay Area, home to where I live, um, in droves to settle in the city driving up home prices in the process. It's just not tech work, workers now. A number of venture capitalists have set up shop in Austin, including Jim Breyer, Breyer Capital, and Palantir co-founder Joe Lonsdale. I think, Eugene, you, you worked uh, with Joe, I believe, um, who said last year he was moving his venture capital firm, uh, HVC, from Silicon Valley to the city. Um, the latest VC to call Austin home is Jeff Lewis, as well, of Bedrock, um, for four-year-old billion in dollar in assets. So a lot, lot of folks moving. Um, so Eugene, you, you have moved recently. I have written um, about in similar vein on, on some of the advantages that Austin presents over areas like Bay Area, but not just Bay Area, but other areas in the United, United States. Um, I, I read your blog. I read your article, mostly economic and practical lifestyle reasons triggered actually by COVID because you could work from anywhere. Uh, anywhere. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your decision. How has it been since your move, Eugene? Sure. Um, yeah, and uh, if anyone check, wants to check that out, it's on my, my website. Um, but yeah, basically um, moved here about a year ago, a little, little over a year. Um, I had been looking even before uh, before COVID and I kind of just, I was in San Francisco for, you know, almost 10 years and I was just kind of seeing, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to offend anyone, but kind of just seeing the city fall apart and, and just, you know, just, just not really seeing any hope for, for San Francisco, um, to, to get better. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think COVID for a lot of people triggered, like, you know, suddenly we had this, you know, indefinite time period where we didn't have to be in an office and we kind of had the freedom to like re, recalibrate and re, you know, reorient and you can go somewhere that's more aligned with our like values. And that seemed like it had 
uh, a better future. And um, yeah, and Austin seemed like the best place where, you know, it was is in a, a state with different politics and, you know, it, you know, while Austin's politics are, are pretty similar to San Francisco's in some ways, um, you know, the state is not. And, um, you know, th that was a big reason. I think is just, I guess as an investor, I'm like, you know, I think if, if people like, like myself and Joe Lonsdale are kind of independently coming to the conclusion this is where we want to be and do business and like, you know, investing in this, in this location is going to be, is going to be huge. And so, um, you know, just, just like the real estate that I bought is, has, has performed really well as well. Um, so yeah, but I, you know, overall it's been, it's been great. I would say like there hasn't been, you know, hasn't exactly been like a flood of everyone, every startup moving their HQ here, but obviously, you know, for that has been the case for big companies, um, and, you know, a handful of, of like startups with that are like-minded have, have started out here. So, um, yeah. Oh, great. Good, good timing there, Eugene, obviously. I mean, I, I uh, did see that real estate's kind of going up 10, 20% every year. So good timing there. But uh, Alan, uh, isn't there more? Meaning is Austin not only kind of a great place to for all the reasons Eugene stated, but also starting to become a vibrant tech and startup hub? And you've been there eight years. I is something big going on now? I think it is, and it's been uh, it's been going for a little while. To be to be honest, you know, certainly certainly pre COVID, and and to your point, I uh, lived in Dallas for about fifteen years, but moved to Austin in two thousand thirteen. So I've been here been here uh, eight years or so. Um, I do feel like uh, I do feel like an elder statesman around here, given uh, given how many uh, how many people have have moved here 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 recently. But it really is. I mean. To be to be perfectly honest, I mean a lot of us uh, a lot of us move here because you know not only for the business opportunities fintech and otherwise, but um, you know the lifestyle aspects of of Austin are are very attractive as well. I mean the uh, the ability to be outdoors on the trails, on the lakes, on the water, um, you know, relatively mild winters, all of that. There, to your point, there is there's a lot in play. Um, that is attracting people from Chicago, West Coast, Northeast uh, to Austin. I know we're going to talk a lot about that today. So, let, so you brought up the lifestyle point and, and Eugene kind of talked about it kind of broadly in politics and stuff. And, and Eugene, uh, you should give out your website link where your blog is there because we're referring to it. I think it's it's your full name.com, but I'll let you give that out. But in that, I was stuck by that video of you firing from a tank. Uh, something I suppose you can only do in Texas. Um, you're obviously having a great time, but I'm wondering if, if you experience a twin sometime, what do you think Silicon Valley, if you could do, what are some of the things that Silicon Valley could ha have? And, and, and talk a little bit about that cultural aspect too that um, Alan alluded to, right? So lifestyle, um, Texas um, is, is, offers a different lifestyle. So talk, talk a little bit about what attracted Eugene, you want to go first? Go ahead, Alan. Patty, I'm I'm happy to take that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of different aspects to it. I um, have a family, have have three teenage boys at this point, and uh, you know, wanted honestly wanted to raise them in a in a place that was um, welcoming, 
diverse, pretty open-minded, um, you know, not that, not, a, not that other places in the country and other places in Texas aren't that, but that is, that is very much Austin's vibe. I mean, it, it still has a very small town feel to it. Um, even though there's, I think 2.1, 2.2 million people in the, in the MSA, you know, it's, it's nowhere clear. It's nowhere, it's nowhere near what DFW is, for example, with, with 10 million people. I mean, it's a fifth of the size of DFW, you know, probably a fifth of the size of Houston and just has that small town vibe. Um, you know, people, like I said, you can be outdoors, um, on the lakes and just, uh, just really have a a good balance we you know people do work hard here for sure but really have just a a great balance um you know from a from a work-life perspective got it and looks like um eugene had a job i think he's having some signal issue let's see if he can come back um but what, what do you think um alan you're you're seeing the migration happening meaning are you getting to know some of these uh, fresh uh, immigrants into Austin from, um, like, um, obviously, Gene is from the Bay Area, but where, where do you see this happening? Yeah, I mean, we see it from a lot of different places, not uh, not just here in the States, but, you know, from from Europe as well. I mean, it's it definitely has, has the small town vibe, which I alluded to, but it um, has a bit of an international flair as well. Um, and, and the one thing that I would say about, about Austin, having... I grew up in a military family, so I moved all over the world and have have really seen a, a number of different places from you know the East Coast and here in the States to Japan, places like that. But the one thing that I would say about Austin is on the whole, everyone is really interested in helping each other. Um, and that makes it, a, you know, I wouldn't say easy, but a relatively easy place to plug into you know, from a personal perspective, from a, from a business perspective, because truly people are, you know, people will help you get connected. People will make introductions for you. Um, you know, once, once they kind of understand who, who you need to connect with and who would, who would help you, that's, that's very much a big part of, of the fabric and kind of DNA of, of Austin is, you know, people, people tend to help each other out. Um, and that makes it a, a relatively easy place to, to plug into from a business perspective or otherwise. Yeah, so it looks like like a great place to raise a family. And Eugene, I, I think you're back. Um, yeah, sorry, uh, I, I should be good now. So, okay, um, no, no worries. So we were talking about the lifestyle when I think you had the technical glitch, and, and well, we talked about the tank and your blog. So why, why don't you tell tell some of the lifestyle aspects that's uh, attractive for you? Uh, sure. Yeah, I can talk about that a bit. Um, you know, I, th I think just as a disclaimer, I'd say that, um, you know, lifestyle, I, I don't think it's always the best thing to optimize on in terms of like your location. I think, you know, just opportunities are tend to be the more important thing. But, uh, you know, I think one thing, things that I was worried about when I moved here have not really turned out to be problems. So, so like the weather, I, I would say actually is amazing. <laughs> and, you know, it's uh, if you like warm weather at all, it's it's just like the perfect place to be. It's like very sunny and, and so on. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, it's like, you know, the fun things are, you know, barbecue and, um, you know, just like nature. I think people kind of 
don't realize that the hill country of Texas is so such a gorgeous setting. Um, you know, definitely on par or or better than like Napa, and uh, yeah, just it's just very spacious. Like you're, you know, you never feel like you're sort of in a crowded place. Um, and yeah, like great food. You know, a lot of nice people. So yeah, lots of lots of things. And like and ability to shoot tanks. You you wanna <laughs> give out give out that website of yours? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The, there's this place called oxranch.com, which is, it's a little bit, it's not really close to Austin, but um, yeah, you, you can you can shoot guns here. Yeah, <laughs> like you can if you have a, a a plot of land, like you know, at least ten or twenty acres, you, there should be plenty of space to like shoot a gun. And if you're into guns, you can you can easily pick one up at a you know a gun show. Or, you know, it's <laughs> you, you just have to show your ID, so it's it's very different from California. Yeah. So. Yeah. And and the well, the website it, it, it's your full name. Eugene oh yeah, yeah, sorry. Eugene com, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so you can um so audience who wants to check out Eugene shooting a tank, not not a gun. I mean, guns a big deal, but but shooting a tank's a bigger deal, <laughs> I think. Um he has a video on on the blog and he talks about um some of the things he he's referenced. Um Clubhouse telling me my signal is bad. You guys can hear me okay? Um yeah. when I'm talking. Okay. I can hear you great. Okay, so let's pivot from lifestyles to like startups, right? So if someone's someone's planning to move there, I think a lot of uh, our network or some in our network are thinking about it. Some have. So so if they are a startup founder, early stage. So what what can how can they connect into the ecosystem? What can they expect? I mean, yeah, I get the low cost and access and things, but in hiring and other things, um, what can they expect for somebody who's planning to move in? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm happy to happy to take that one. Sure. Um, you know, ha- haven't been around here for a little while. Uh, I can I can honestly say that uh, that the components of you know the components of the of the ecosystem when I moved here in 2013 weren't completely put together. And what I mean by that is, you know, we we do have a major university here in in, in University of Texas at Austin. Um, you know, we had, we had a very entrepreneurial ecosystem at, at the time, you know, seven or eight years, but what we were missing was the capital and to some extent, the talent. Um, and those two things I think are what, are what has, has those, those two gaps, so to speak, have, have really been filled over the last, you know, five to 10 years for, um, over the last five to 10 years, I guess probably best example is, you know, um, you know, my, I spent about two thirds of my career in corporate banking and then about a third of my career in, in fintech and software development technology. And um, having launched a company here in Austin, I, f- I found that it was relatively easy to put a, uh, this was several years ago, but relatively easy to put a seed round together, but you had to go outside of Austin to get, you know, to get an A or, or beyond. Um, and that's not necessarily the case anymore. We, I've really found that the, that the capital community um, along with many others, the capital community has has been attracted to Austin as well, uh, which you know only helps to round out the ecosystem. And then, you know, I think the the talent that exists here as well, not only in Austin but in, in Texas in general. But um, you know, I think the talent 
gap has been has been filled to some extent as well, validated by the fact that you know Apple has got a huge cam- building a huge campus here. Um, you know Tesla just announced their HQ move to to Austin. Uh, Oracle, obviously. So those types of companies that require you know that type of talent don't move here if they you know if they can't uh, if they can't find the talent. So I, I think their moves here have have sort of validated that that remaining piece or that remaining gap has has been filled over the last you know five years or so. Yeah, interesting. Go ahead, Eugene. You were yeah. trying to get in. I, yeah, I was going to say um, you know I, I haven't admittedly I have not started a company here yet, but um, you know I, I and my my past was basically you know spending ten years grinding to hire a team in San Francisco, which you know is a very difficult <laughs> undertaking. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say anecdotally, uh, you know, I know a lot of people who are, especially who are, you know, entering their 30s and are kind of, you know, having kids and are married and so on, are, are you know, much more attracted to Austin than almost anywhere else. And so, you know, one of the common problems at Blend was like hiring people that had um, some experience. And, you know, I think, I suspect that if I were to try to put together a team here, you know, it would be maybe maybe I wouldn't necessarily have to hire people that are already here, but I could probably make the case that, you know, if you're someone with a, with a family, then, you know, it's going to be a great place for you. Like your kids can go to school without like wearing masks and getting sanitized, you know, five times a day. And, um, you know, you're, yeah, you can eat at restaurants without like a, a QR code and, and stuff like that, where, you know, a lot of people just, you know, a lot of people agree with that, but a lot of people just are just tired of that stuff and want to get, go somewhere like normal. Yeah, yeah, no, no, true. And and uh, how do you contrast? So so outside of that um, kind of the social aspects and obviously post COVID and, and the politics aspect, but it, it, Alan talked about the UT and 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 some of these big companies moving. So they have done some research, obviously. And and I go back to kind of using a microcosm example. So when when Silicon Valley was down the peninsula, so to speak, um, and then Google and others started the buses. So all the the the, the young Googlers, if you will, um, or, or or the folks who were going to do startups, I should say, um, migrated to San Francisco because they could just bus in. But then the startup epicenter moved to uh, to to there as well, and that that busing was one of the reasons because there were a lot of people there, and they wanted to just set up the companies there. So there was a lag; it didn't happen instantaneously. So do you see that kind of happening? I mean, obviously, if Apple, Tesla, and folks leave from there, start their own companies, so you're seeing a lot of uh, kind of um, movement in that direction. You see a lot of startups being founded in in. Um, I personally, my network is more around, um, people that have moved here and, and Twitter. And, and so I, I don't know if I'm the most qualified to talk about the, the bigger company networks, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly believe that that will happen. I do think there's, you know, a, a common argument against Austin is like that it is such a nice place to live that people go there for lifestyle and not for career. Um, and so, and so the more ambitious people will stay in, in San Francisco, New York. Um, but, uh, I, I think that's, I mean, I just looking at like, you know, <laughs> some people that you would think of like as the syn- synonymous with ambition, like Elon Musk, like literally lives in Austin, so, <laughs> you know, so, or at least as a resident here. So, 
you know, you can't, I don't know if that argument's going to hold up in like, in the next, the coming years. Sure. Eugene, um, you're not, you're not wrong though. That, that used to be the, <laughs> that used to be the, uh, the word on Austin is that, um, you know, the, the level of work output was not, uh, not that high. And Patty just to, you know, anecdotally, Austin used to be a place where, where the hippies would come, um, you know, and bring their, uh, bring refreshments with them. But it, uh, not that it, you know, there's still, there's still that aspect of the lifestyle, which we've talked about, but you know, it, it certainly has, has changed over the last five to 10 years to Eugene's point with regard to, you know, the level of ambition along with the, you know, the, the lifestyle is, has really taken shape over the last few years. Yeah. And, and you, you, on the same vein, Alan, you, you, you deal with fintech, um, Eugene does too, but uh, there are companies like Q2 and 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 um, uh, Coney and others who were kind of grew up in Austin. So, do you see some early stage fintech activity, um, startup activity? I do. I think it's early days, um, but you know, having never lived in the in the Bay Area, it's hard hard for me to comment. But my observation was that you know, way back when 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 there were new companies that that were starting, it took the it took some time for those companies to to grow and ultimately for those founders to realize an exit, you know, significant exit in, in a lot of ways. And I think that's what we're that, that's what we're starting to see here in Austin. Um, you know, we've had some we've had some companies grow up to be big um, and have have had some big exits over the last five to ten years. You know. Um, and when those things start to happen to the extent that that capital gets redeployed back into the, you know, back into that local market to, you know, to, to seed other, other entrepreneurs, then it really starts to get rolling. And I think that's what, what we've experienced here as, you know, companies like a, like a Coney have, um, you know, have, have sold and, you know, other big exits have, have, uh, have materialized that capital gets get sort of re- redeployed back into the ecosystem and we kind of have a what you know what we're experiencing here in Austin today. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about that capital maybe ask Eugene about this. You're doing some angel investments and and also kind of you're connected into the venture capital um, ecosystem. But let me t- tell you a stat here that I noticed on Twitter, right? So not regarding capital, but restaurant reservations and open table. And I, I don't know whether it's legit. I, I'm just reading off a uh, tweet. So Vegas, um, this is kind of weekend compared to the same weekend two years ago, not the COVID year, but two years ago. So Vegas restaurant reservation was up 39%, Miami 27, Austin 26, Tampa 18. Whereas New York City was minus 32, San Francisco was minus 37, Honolulu minus 38, and Brooklyn minus 44. So again, I, I don't know what the right numbers, but but that that's a pattern. And I, I don't want to talk about restaurant reservation, but I want to talk about inflow of um, LP capital and capital money, like the redeployment of capital. So Eugene, can, can you comment based on uh, kind of your limited uh, time there? Uh, how do you see uh, the venture capital space and limited partner capital coming in? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess just to reiterate, I got, you know, there, there have been big funds like 8VC and, and Bedrock relocating here and, you know, for, for investments of the size they make, like they're, they're going to want to meet you in person. Usually I think, um, 
And so actually you have a lot more entrepreneurs, even if they're not starting here, like they're, they're spending time here with investors. Um, and so, you know, I have a lot of, a few of the companies I invested in recently. Um, one of them like was in, was in Berkeley or Berkeley or, you know, somewhere in Bay area. And they were like, they came here to visit with, uh, one of those investors and they're like, Oh, Hey, like we should meet up too for lunch. And, and so we, you know, we met that way and that's how the, the deal happened. Um, and then they ended up, they actually ended up moving here and, uh, which makes sense. I mean, it's like, you want to be around your, your, your investors, uh, especially your lead investors. So, um, you know, being able to meet with them, uh, is, is pretty important. And then, um, yeah, I mean, there's also been companies where they, they raise here, but they, they kind of go back to New York or whatever. And, um, but they're, they're still like popping in every few months. And, and so it's, it's a lot, there's actually a lot more, ironically, more travel now, I'd say from, from what I can tell, like, you know, people are flying around to, you know, LA, New York, uh, Miami, Austin on a more regular basis. Um, to meet with different people. And like, you know, I think people have kind of reorganized around shared values in these different places. And so, you know, you kind of get to uh, pop in and, and kind of like, you know, experience the network in each place. Yeah, no, definitely a good location, right? Meaning one, one of the things I don't like about the West Coast and the East Coast is it takes a while to get um, to the other side. So so Austin and some other places have that advantage that you can yeah, get to. Three hours get to anywhere pretty much. Yeah, yeah, and and Florida is coming up in a big way. We we asked for a Florida representative in this call, but uh, the timing didn't work for them. Uh, but that the, the mayor, he's actually in the Bay Area promoting Miami, friend uh, Suarez. So they they are big advocates. They want to make uh, Florida like Crypto Valley, and they're doing payroll and Bitcoin and things like that. So they they're kind of doing what say Silicon Valley historically has had the brand about, right? Trying new things first. Um, so we'll see how how it goes. But I want stay stay in Texas. So among the things unique in the Lone Star State is the fact that it has its own power grid. And Alan, you told me about this um but tell us how that makes a difference and also now that bitcoin mining is forefront with china being out and and the awareness around um uh around the energy cost for that um uh, are, are you seeing some activity in that in texas or what are the unique advantages um for uh for that self uh, or or um, uh, texas having its own grid yeah, I'll uh, I'll give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. How about that? It's a it's an interesting time to be talking about this topic. Um, you know, primarily because of uh, because of Snowvid that happened in February of of last year, where um, multiple days of of freezing temperatures, you know, pretty much shut the power grid down here in Texas, which was an interesting three or four days. But historically, Texas has had an advantage from the standpoint that we're, we're energy independent. We're not on the, you know, we're not on the Eastern power grid. We're not on the Western power grid. Texas is, is independent from a power perspective, you know, obviously blessing and a curse in, in some regards, but you know, that along with the fact that we don't have state tax here in, here in Texas, um, the energy savings that a company could realize by moving to Texas historically have been significant. So, you know, to the extent that you're a big power user, if you're, a, you know, if you're running data centers or to your point, um, you know, uh, mining 
uh, crypto mining requires a lot of power. If you're running running big centers like that, you're going you're highly likely going to realize significant um, you know energy savings because of the fact that Texas is independent from a from a power perspective. So a lot of people don't know that, and it was an interesting conversation that you and I had around that topic. Um, you know, most people think that it is just from an economic perspective, it is just the fact that Texas doesn't have a have state taxes that is the big driver, but it's that plus uh, things like, you know, things like the energy independence that that Texas, uh, you know, Texas enjoys. So it's an interesting dynamic. I'm glad we weren't having this conversation in February of last year because I would have had a different opinion, but. <laughs> no, interesting. And obviously that, that would have helped them kind of do some backup planning and things, but yeah. that, that's great. Um, so folks, we're talking, I, I want to quickly do a room reset. Uh, you're listening to the FinTech Talk Show. I'm your host, Patty Ramanathan. We're talking to Alan Grayson, Chief um, Innovation Officer at Encore Bank in Austin, Texas, and Eugene Marinelli, formerly co-founder of Blend, and now um, investor, angel investor, um, and, and recently moved to Austin, Texas. Uh, for for, for summary of our shows, there's a Substack which has a recording. The show's been recorded as well, and that URL is fintechtalk.substack.com. Uh, we have an upcoming Web3. Report only for subscribers, uh, but do follow us, um, follow uh, the speakers, follow our club here, FinTech Talk, and and also on social media. Um, I use uh, my name on Twitter and and LinkedIn. Um, I do want to open it up for questions too. Uh, since we're recording, I need kind of your written permission. You can back channel me a little kind of the messaging thing on Clubhouse, um, saying that it's okay to record your voice if you want to come uh, upstage. Just raise your hand and we'll bring you up um, if you like. Um, it's a little bit of an intimate audience today, but it, it, it's good. We, we can have some good conversation. Um, I want to shift um, from talking about Texas and Austin, a little bit about your careers, Alan and Eugene, and, and also your current focus. Um, maybe Eugene, go to you first. Uh, you co-founded Blend, which is now worth, I think, more than $3 billion, kind of was kind of one of the leaders who identified, uh, the company identified the friction in the mortgage workflow. So I want to ask you kind of more of a meta question, a uh, little bit about that journey. How how did you and your co-founders identify that um, and, and kind of uh, fast forward it to now? Where do you see, especially in the fintech realm, which workflows are very inefficient and could use some disruption and in innovation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, I was I started out my career at Palantir as a software engineer. And um, you know, the interesting thing about Palantir is that you get exposed to all sorts of different problem domains. Um, and so we actually end up spending some time with banks, uh, just seeing not not really working on their workflows exactly, but just learning about their uh, the internals and just seeing how broken everything was with, you know, you know, the use of faxes and, you know, just like PDF forms and call centers and, and so on, all these kind of old technologies. And, um, you know, intuitively we were just, and this was in 2011 or so, we just intuitively knew that uh, the software could be better. Um, we, we actually hadn't gotten a mortgage ourselves at that point because we were all kind of like under 25 uh, at the time. But, um, you know, other as we hired more people there, and talk to more people, we just learned that 
the process for an applicant for a mortgage was like so bad and, and painful. Um, and still, still is largely, you know, for most mortgages, pretty painful if they don't use blend. So, um, yeah, so left Palantir and, and started that company. And, um, you know, I think, you know, even today, you just, you, you, there are all these things that are done over, uh, still done over email and PDF and phone call and, and so on that, that just, you know, are begging for software and, and it just, is a lot of low hanging fruit. And so that's some of the stuff that I've uh, been investing in, um, especially people coming out of blend who have kind of seen how to create a company like blend and then can kind of like replicate that for other domains. Yeah. And uh, talk a little bit about that. Meaning I, I know you're doing some angel investments um, and whatever you can talk about. Um, what are some of the areas? I mean, I, I think I, I like the part that you said that the Palantir discipline, uh, uh, you didn't say this, but kind of more of data analysis based um, kind of problem solving was what maybe created Blend. Um, but I'm curious as to what areas you're focusing on on your angel investment portfolio, because those those would uh, would be maybe the next big fintechs. Yeah. Um... Well, I, I'd say I'm generally more interested in the founder, the founder than the the idea. So I, I tend to invest in all sorts of different things. But um, in the area of fintech and things along the lines of blend, um, you know, one of my earlier investments was a company called Compound, which essentially map, maps out the uh, the process of managing your equity if you're an employee of a, of a tech startup. Um, so helping you develop a plan for, um, for exercising your options and figuring out like a liquidity timeline and, and then, you know, offering other services around that in a much more like modern way. Uh, and then another, another example would be, um, and, and, investment made around the same time was called a neo.tax, which, um, there, there's this like little, ne- well, Essentially, I saw that at Blend, our, our finance team was spending all this time kind of like putting together information about what people were doing in the company. And there was a huge manual process involved in like filing our taxes. And NeoTax was basically automating that whole process with AI, um, starting with the uh, just claiming the, um, I want to say the, the payroll tax credit for startups. So um, things like that, I think are, are pretty like, as long as you can find like a, a talented founder and a clear cut place where there's just like all this manual friction it's it's easy to see how that can be 10 times better wonderful and i want to ask you about web 3.0 and crypto and things like that but maybe go to alan first and in the same way now and um you you are responsible in some ways at encore bank to kind of develop those partnerships with fintech i think we heard from eugene about his kind of how he he looked at um, um setting up blend or, or identified the problem uh, what is your approach when you're kind of looking at expanding encore's portfolio and partnerships with fintechs yeah i love the question i mean our our whole thesis um as you and I have talked about, our, our whole thesis is is really built around um, moving three big rocks, and I'll I'll talk a little bit about that. But you know, Encore is a little bit different than than most banks because everything we're doing is um, you know built around the built around the concept of an of an exit here in you know five six seven years, and we're just very transparent about that, which is which is not the norm in in banking, but you know 
whether it's negotiating contracts or thinking about fintech at Encore, everything, everything is done in the, you know, in the spirit of an exit and in five years or so. So uh, I wanted to, or just put that out there because it's, it informs a lot of, a lot of what we do, but the way that we think about FinTech and, you know, tech and innovation in general is we're trying to move three big rocks over the next, over the next five years to realize, you know, realize a certain outcome, which is an exit. Those three big rocks are driving, you know, huge commercial loan volume. Um, you know, obviously core deposits is, is the cheapest way to fund those, you know, fund those corporate loans. So, that second big rock is, is driving, you know, driving core deposits. So, you know, a, uh, a FinTech called Z suite here, actually here in Austin, you know, we go, we go buy their technology off the shelf, you know, push that product out to our, out to our clients and prospects. And it, you know, and it, and it drives significant commercial escrow uh, deposits for us and brings a great technology solution to, you know, to, title companies, law firms, property managers, people like that. And then the third big rock is driving significant non-interest revenue so that we can hopefully, you know, get into the mid-teens from an ROE perspective, which is significantly higher than, than you know, the banking industry in general. So our thesis is built around using tech and fintech specifically to move those three big rocks to drive, you know, to drive the outcome that I, that I mentioned. So very, you know, very laser focused as to, as to how we think about and utilize, fin, you know, use FinTech, um, you know, here, here at, uh, here at Encore. Great. And Z Suites, Nathan, and he has a long last name. I don't want to butcher it. He has been Ball on Master. our show. Yep. Great <laughs> guy. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that that's great. So great, and and in sourcing, looks like you're sourcing uh, from not just Austin but around, um, or do you focus in the region, the southeast? I, I know Tennessee, Memphis, and other spots are are rising fintech hubs, but where do you source these partnerships? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, um, you know, we we uh, Austin tends to do things local, and and we're fortunate now because there are there are you know there's a kind of burgeoning fintech ecosystem. So, you know, companies like Z suite in banks, I N B A N X, um, you know, sort of, uh, spin management, A R A P, uh, type of platform, you know, a company called risk scout here in town, um, pretty up and coming fintech doing some, doing some pretty unique things in the space. I mean, there's to solve for what we're trying to, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of options right in our backyard, but having said that, you know, a, a, a platform called Derivative Path, which is actually out your way, brings you know brings an FI like ours the ability to do some pretty sophisticated things, um, interest rate derivatives, swaps, foreign exchange capabilities, which all of our commercial clients demand. So, yeah, we. You know, we try to keep it try to keep it local when we can, but um, certainly not not limited to just to just Austin or Texas by any stretch. Yeah, Director Pat Pradeep, I know him well. Yeah, I've invited him to the show. Great he, company. He, yep. Yeah, he, he's super busy as well. Um, company called but, Mantle out in the you know out in the New York area. Another another great fintech that we've partnered with. Yeah. 
And and the CFO part was a common thread between what you both answered. So kind of automating the CFO side of our APAR expense management, kind of bucket that into the CFOs and treasurer's office. So so likely we're going to see a lot of um, kind of streamlining of those kind of workflows and processes. So interesting, interesting to note. Um, so Eugene, uh, like Web 3.0, so so fintech largely was a distribution problem solved, right? You kind of remove the friction, create uh, or solve the distribution challenge. A uh, lot of what crypto, not just the Bitcoin crypto, but the stable coins and CBDC and, and other things that are happening, um, less in the U.S. sometimes, more overseas, is also changing the factory of um, financial services. And also our thesis is that it's not just financial services might get disintermediated or partially disintermediated, but some of the Internet technology firms might too, because they are middlemen too, like a, Google is a big search middlemen, Facebook and other social media are a big um, um, social media, like they're kind of just have audience on both sides, so to speak, and advertisement is the main business model. And similar can be said about Uber and Airbnb, uh, uh, conceivably uh, a, a chain-based Uber without the actual central Uber can uh, manage kind of the ride-sharing part, if you will. So what do you think about that in terms of um, evolution of the web into that kind of decentralized model, new business models coming up. Um, do you have an opinion on that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, one is, you know, one, one model that, that I'm, I've seen a couple of times and I am optimistic on is, uh, essentially creating something like a replacement service for one of these, but in a way where it's decentralized and end-to-end -end encrypted and, and just figuring out all the technical challenge is involved in doing that. Um, and so one, one company that I, <clears throat> that I invest in is called Skiff and it's essentially like a Google docs, <clears throat> except um, all the data is <clears throat> encrypted end-to-end -end, and uh, it can be stored in IPFS frictionly, frictionlessly and um, there's really no way for Skiff the company to access the data. Uh, and so it goes against, you know, it's, it's kind of like strictly better than the, the traditional cloud model that Google and um, other similar, you know, document providers use, you know, Dropbox, uh, Notion, et cetera. Um, and, and so I think, I think you'll see companies doing more of that kind of thing where you have, you know, just, you know, the, the company itself is not storing any data. It's just sort of making money by, by uh, charging a subscription for the service. Um, so that, I think that, yeah, definitely interesting companies like that. And, um, you know, I think on the more extreme end, you see a lot of energy going into projects like Urbit, uh, which I don't know if um, people here are familiar with that, but it's essentially a sort of like a new internet built from the ground up to be like totally decentralized. And, um, and it's, it's sort of an uh, early, in a sense, early project in that there's not much you can do with it other than um, something like chat, like Slack, chats that, that can never be uh, censored. But, um, you know, I think, I think there's going to be a lot more advancement in that area where like it just completely reinvents the internet. Can, can you give out that, those names both and kind of maybe oh, spell yeah. them out? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Skiff, uh, S K I F F.org. Uh, and which is the document platform. And then there's, uh, Urbit, U R B I T, 
I'm not sure what the URL is, but it's um, essentially a, yeah, look it up. It's a very interesting project. <laughs> yeah, sounds very interesting. I, I don't know about um, Urbit either, so I'll definitely look it up. And and the dog project is is um, is interesting. Uh, can, can you talk about kind of how it makes money or is it kind of more just a nonprofit or it's tokenized and things like that? How, what is the kind of the business model? Yeah, I believe I believe I could be wrong about this. So, um, but I believe it's a subscription. So, it's it's built for teams. So you're paying like a per you know, per person fee uh, monthly. I believe. Got, got it. Got it. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. Um, Alan, any, you, you, little your your thoughts on Web three uh, From a banking perspective, there's a lot happening in DeFi, decentralized finance, and stuff. I'm sure kind of you're listening in or, or tuning into that. But your thoughts on on some of what was just said? Yeah, definitely doing uh, doing more listening um, and and observing uh, more more than anything right now relative to our business. But you know, decentralized in in general is is clearly the future of of finance. You know, not only not only here in the states but globally as well. You know, a couple things that we're that we're watching pretty closely are use cases around blockchain, whereby um, you know, in in our business for a bank, as I mentioned, that big that third rock generating non-interest revenue, your your mortgage business is always going to be a big non-interest revenue driver for you. Your SBA business is always going to be a big non-interest revenue driver for you because what's happening in those particular businesses is you're taking portfolios of mortgages or you know government-backed SBA loans and you're ultimately selling those selling those portfolios out into the secondary market but you know in today it takes it takes months to package up a you know a bundle of mortgages and get them sold but you know certainly not too long from now and and we're watching watching closely but envision the world where you know a lot of it a lot of that takes place on you know a, a decentralized network and you ultimately can you can trade those portfolios or sell those portfolios in microseconds what takes months to to facilitate today so for an fi or really any company when you get to bring revenue you know when you get to bring revenue months in advance of of when you would ultimately get it otherwise that you know that's a game changer for any business so those use cases are are really really important to us and you know something that we're watching pretty closely and and finding our you know finding our spots where it makes makes sense for our business yeah so uh, maybe touch a little bit on regulatory and we're coming at the top of the hour but um the regulatory regime for for all the things you're talking about, including DeFi and including things like the new internet orbit and, and stuff, how's that shaping up? I know the the infrastructure bill that was passed that had a little bit of controversial things uh, around crypto mining and and who who were deemed as kind of um, um, who had responsibility to issue 1099 and things like that, and some of the folks could take things out. But but there seems to be not general consensus, not just party lines, but even maybe geography. I know Wyoming is is formally kind of the only state that approves of a DAO, decentralized autonomous organization, kind of a new form of corporation, if you will. So they've redefined their state laws that an LLC can be a DAO and things. So what what's your perspective? Is there like an advantage uh, in Texas around this? 
And how do you think the regulatory landscape shaping up on this? Yeah, uh, it, it is another example of very early days in, in all honesty. Um, you know, we, uh, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure banks or FIs have, have the advantage or fintechs have the advantage, but you know, what I'm seeing today relative to that regulatory topic is, you know, a bank charter is still very, very valuable. Um, you know, the ability to, the ability to raise deposits, you know, in a very cheap way is, I mean, that's the, li that's the lifeblood of a, of a company. Capital is the lifeblood of a company. So banks are very important in the, in the landscape, but fintechs are always, are, you know, are obviously very important in the landscape as well. So I'm seeing more collaboration between fintechs and banks today than I ever have versus, you know, what you hear in the media is everybody's trying to disrupt each other. But I think, I think there's a lot more collaboration between those two part, you know, those two banks and fintechs than there is anything because fintechs need banks and conversely, you know, banks need fintechs. Um, that's, that's more what, more what I'm seeing in the space. Yeah, no, and, and you made an important point around the bank charter, right? So obviously we've seen a lot of the big fintechs, the Gen 1 fintechs, um, SoFi, Lending Club, and others yep. kind of acquire bank charters, so to speak. That's right. Um, so, so no, definitely the cost of capital. I mean, the agility initially is important, but then it all boils down. When it comes to scale, it comes down to the cost of capital. Got to have uh, capital. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Eugene, any, any thoughts on the regulatory? Are you tracking that? Do you see Texas as being advantaged uh, when it comes to some of the regulatory? Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I wanted to mention before um, on the previous topic, but uh just around the, the mining and energy topic. Um, sure. I, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot of people that were literally, uh, literally they're moving from China to Texas because China banned Bitcoin. <laughs> um, and, and Texas has the cheapest energy, I guess. Uh, or, or, or maybe there, there are some regulatory advantages perhaps. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, I, I think one thing that I haven't stressed enough is really that like Austin is kind of like the Bitcoin city. <laughs> like you go to events and, and like half the people you meet are, are, are involved in Bitcoin in one way or another. Um, so there, there's like empirically some, some uh, advantages to, to the Bitcoin stuff. That's, that's cool. I, I didn't know. I, I thought it would be kind of, that's why I teed up that um, uh, question around the power grid. Um, but, but seems like, yeah, if China, I mean, there's a lot of mining going on in China. So uh, the, the Texas might be, so, so I, uh, uh, and Texas had a lot of land too to set up these new racks and rigs and data centers. So interesting. We'll see how that um, how that goes. Um, if you noted uh, Brian Brooks, who was kind of the uh, very pro crypto uh, uh, temp OCC or acting OCC chair, now has joined as CEO of Bitfury, one of the big mining companies. And um, so we'll, we'll see some developments there around mining. Um, and then we're coming to the top of the hour. I want you guys to maybe, in closing, take out your crystal ball. We we talked a little bit about the future already, but take out your crystal ball, meaning talk about what's the future for Austin, what are some of the two or three things you expect to happen in maybe 2022, more startups, more venture capital, setting up space, more immigration into Austin, or or whatever you think might happen and and also future of Web 3.0 and fintech. 
what are some of the two, three big things? I know you talked about the skiff and the orbit, and Alan, you talked about some of the things. But in summary, what do you think um, is happening in 2022 and beyond? Who wants to go first? Happy to take it. I think we, I think we both have have a unique uh, unique lens that we look through here here in Austin. But you know, as I as I commented on earlier, um, the the right pieces have have really fallen into place for a for a city like Austin. Um, you know, and, and other cities in the in the U.S. as well. But for a city like Austin, you know, being able to have a a major university, um, we have the academic side, you know, very big player in the in the market. We have capital, though there's always a need for more. That piece is coming together. We have talent. That piece has, has really come together. Um, and we have, you know, very entrepreneurial ecosystem that will continue to develop, to develop out here in Austin. And, you know, that's not just a 2022 thing, but, you know, that really propels the city forward, um, you know, well into the future. Eugene? Cool. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I guess I would say there there's a virtuous cycle here um, where the way I see it is that, and sorry, this would be slightly political, but I, I kind of see New York and, and California becoming more and more sort of like totalitarian and just unlivable in various ways while, while, while those people are, that are kind of disagree with that move here. Um, Austin's kind of like the shelling point, let's say, of, of people that, that feel this way. So you have people move here. Um, it gets better because you vote for certain policies, like you saw with the you know, Austin actually banned uh, homeless camping, which is something that hasn't been done elsewhere in, in at least in a while or successfully. Um, you know, you have people coming here with who are Bitcoin, ex, you know, Bitcoin maximalists or you know, Bitcoin uh, miners. Um, all these people are coming here with kind of like shared values and, and that's going to lead to, you know, positive developments and, and more capital coming in. Um, and, 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 you know, that, and so it'll be driven by improvements here and, and, um, you know, things getting worse elsewhere. <laughs> so I think as simple as that. Okay. No, great. Well, whether Austin continues to become and mature into a big startup and innovation hub, uh, sort of uh, almost uh, Silicon Valley-esque, but different, um, or whether it was the CFO uh, fintechs that will take shape um, in 2022, or if it's the decentralized web and the doc sharing, decentralized doc sharing kind of disrupting internet business, or if there are more Bitcoin miner mining businesses in Texas, whichever that happens, we'll be covering it and talking about it on the FinTech Talk Show. Change and churn create new paradigms for success and intellectual growth. So this is all good, whether it's driven by politics or economics or or lifestyle. So this is all good. Uh, with that, let me thank um, Alan and Eugene for sharing their views so generously. Um, do check out our Substack um, at fintechtalk.substack.com. Um, all the links that I've used in this talk are in my bio as well. Follow me, uh, follow the Fintech Talk Show on Clubhouse, um, follow today's speakers, and um, get in touch and be in the know. Um, thank you, um, Alan and Eugene, again. Thank you.